And welcome to episode 43 of the Retrospectors podcast, the operative No One Lives Forever. James, how are you this fine night after I stole all your money in poker last night? All my money? Uh, I think you're talking about a whole 40 cents there, Patrick. I'll take it. If I end up 40 cents off, I count that as a win. Uh, whereas I believe you were down significantly, right? Down a whole $5, yeah. Which is, you know, not a not a big loss considering uh, you provided me with a lot of free alcohol. We, uh, we play for very serious stakes on our poker nights. But uh, I'm glad I ended up up even if it was just 40 cents. Mm-hmm. Um. This is, of course, the Retrospectives podcast. Each and every fortnight, James and I play through a classic game of the past to determine if it has truly stood the test of time. This fortnight, James and I played through the operative No One Lives Forever. It's a first-person hybrid shooter stealth game developed by Monolith Productions and first released in 2000 for the PC. This um this episode was actually a user suggestion from our Discord server. Someone called SPH suggested to us, and I'm very grateful for them because, incredibly, I have never even heard of this game before. It And I feel like it's a game I should be aware of, but... This was literally the first time I'd ever heard of it. Um, was it the same with you, James? Yeah, it was for me as well, Pat. Yeah, it's it's very unusual because it's got a very distinctive personality. So in the game, you take the role of Kate Archer, who's a cat burglar turned secret agent, and she works to uncover a fiendish plot by an evil organization known as Harm. It's kind of a very... It's a very, like, uh, cheesy 60s spy flick. You know, more like uh, Get Smart than Bond, I think. Uh, well, it, goes, it tries to ham it up in a lot of the scenes. It takes influences from Get Smart, James Bond, and probably most notably Austin Powers. So it's... I don't think it's quite that cheesy, but uh, it is closer to that. It, it is in some regards. It's definitely its own brand of satire, uh, but it's drawing its influences from a lot of different places. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of got that feel to it in the same way that, you know, in our earlier Max Payne episode, Max Payne was, you know, really riffing off those noir themes this is a game mm. that riffs on the um on the 60s spy agency themes so before we get into discussion of the episode proper just a couple of notes on how we played this game there was a port for this game to mac and ps2 but we were of course playing on pc because it would be insane to play it any other way um no one lives forever is technically abandoned where you can't actually purchase it anywhere but there's a site nolfrevival.tk we'll add a link to that in the show notes where you can download the game of the year edition completely for free but once you've done that you're not quite done because there's one more thing you need to do and that's to apply the nolf modernizer patch and we'll post a link to that as well if you don't install this patch you're going to encounter bugs you're going to have way less menu options there's no wide screen and most importantly, it's locked to 30 frames per second. When I first started yeah. this game on 30 <laughs> FPS without that modernized patch, I thought there was something seriously wrong with the game. That's how long it's been since I've been forced to play 30 FPS. So if you're going to do this, make sure you install that modernizer patch. Otherwise, it is a 
horrendous experience. Yeah, some people uh, in the Discord were saying that uh, they tried to play this game previously without the patch, and that it was quite a buggy, crashing mess. So uh, definitely, if you're going to give this game a go, uh, you want to install that. The, the patch just came out last year, which is why um, not everyone knows about it. It's 2019, so but it's well worth it. Um, increases the FPS to 60, which is still, you know, nowhere near the uh, 144 that we're used to, but I find 60 FPS is tolerable, whereas 30 FPS is... Is, uh, not at all, no. It's like wading through molasses when you're playing. I, uh, have not had to, uh, deal with that bullshit for quite some time, and thank God. Okay, well, with the introductions out of the way, I think it's time for us to jump straight into the discussion. So, James, what I'd like to do is we'll start with story discussion. Um, yep. I'll introduce the story premise, and I will say that we're going to avoid spoilers if we can. Uh, we'll talk about the plot and story in vague terms but if we can steer clear of the plot twists that would be appreciated because i think the story is one of the strongest parts of these games this game and is probably the main reason to play it so this this is spoilers i guess for like the first mission or so just, just to give you guys an idea of how this game sets up so there's a man called volkov and um, he started assassinating members of Unity, which is the uh, spy agency that Kate Archer works for. Kate Archer has been pretty much sitting on the sidelines of Unity because she's a woman and uh, she because she was a former cat burglar. But you get the feeling it's primarily because she's a woman. Unity isn't giving her any missions that she deserves for her level of experience and ability. They're kind of sitting her on the sidelines, not giving her anything of importance. But when Unity loses basically half the agents over the course of a couple of nights, the um, agency leaders, Smith and Jones, finally have to give Archer a proper mission, which is to, you know, find out what the deal with these assassinations are. Once you figure that out, you kind of uncover this broader conspiracy, this broader evil plot by an organization called H-A-R-M, or as it is hilariously called, Harm. <laughs> and uh, you have to, you know, go undercover, you're breaking into locations to gain information, and, you know, Harm's evil plot escalates and you try and thwart it at every single turn. So the first thing that I'd like to talk about with this game, and I think it's the the thing that really stands out when you're playing this game, is the feminism and Kate Archer being a woman. And I know that's a very blunt way to put it, but the fact of the matter is there are very, very few female protagonists in video games, even to this day. But it was even rarer back in 2000. And James, we'll get into the intricacies, but can I just say... I think it does an excellent job of it. This is one of the best feminist video games I've ever played in my life. Yeah, I think it plays very well into the time period that it was set. Um, I think that the main character does a fantastic job of um, trying to fight against being looked down on constantly throughout the game. I think she's very entertaining to listen to. Um, and, to, you know, you, you really do root for her to kind of show everybody that she's a lot better than they're giving her credit for throughout the entire game. It's interesting because it would have been so easy for them to just cast, you know, your gruff 
you know, brown-haired male in the main role. And I think it would have even been easy to have Kate Archer be just a woman agent that is treated exactly the same as a male agent, you know, given no special consideration. But they've made it a real point of this game that Kate Archer has to face constant discrimination and condescension from pretty much every other character in the game. And, you know, women obviously have to deal with this uh, in today's society and often in very direct ways, but it tends to be a lot more insidious. In the 60s, it was blatant. From what I was reading, they actually made this decision to have a female protagonist kind of because they wanted to distinguish the game from, you know, Bond and kind of keep themselves out of uh, a lawsuit's way. They actually um, even asked the, uh, the sound composer who was doing the music to avoid using brass instruments in the soundtrack as much as possible, um, to which he said that's completely ridiculous, obviously. (laughs) But yeah, I think they did a really good job. Like they fully embraced having the female character and, um, you know, I think it's actually worked out very well. This game is very silly a lot of the time, but it has this these very serious undercurrents to it, this thread being one of them, and I think it interweaves them really well throughout the story. Yeah, so it's really frustrating because in the early stages of the game, things go wrong because, you know, you don't know much and you keep getting ambushed and you're trying to uncover information and things stuff up, and every single time something goes wrong, everyone says it's because you're a woman. It's because your decision-making is suspect because you're too emotional, because you're a woman. And no one takes you seriously or trusts you or thinks you have the capability to do anything just because you're a woman. And over the course of the game, as things start going right, you know, you finally start to garner some respect. But I was getting really angry. I was like, are you (laughs) fucking kidding me? I killed 40, you know, 40 people trying to escape or I do all these things. And I'm still getting disrespected and treated like shit just because of my gender. So I don't know. I thought it did a really good job putting you in that spot of Kate Archer and getting you to empathize with, you know, what, what she feels. Um, that thing you said, the the serious thread, the plot does a weird thing where there are a lot of silly things in this game, but I think that in the briefing room and like in your interactions with the villains, it's it super to be, serious, like all yeah, the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's played straight, right? Yeah, and this game, um, something that like it kind of took me back a bit is that this is like a 10 out 10 or 11 hour game, and it has about three hours worth of cutscenes in the entire thing, right? This is a um, a very story heavy game, and it's you know kind of at odds with all the other shooters that we had played prior. And um, something in particular about the story heaviness that did stand out to me is, as you were saying, a lot of these conversations are actually really serious but also really long like i feel like um with the direction of the cutscenes, the you know the conversations go a, a lot longer than they would in most you know story heavy games i actually think at times they probably went a bit too long um some of them were excellent uh and others i was like can we wrap it up already like <laughs> just the <laughs> the endless uh dialogue back and forth for some of these drier Uh, like mission briefings and stuff was a bit too much. When the dialogue and these cutscenes shined is when you have these clever, witty banter exchanges. 
because one of the signifying features of Kate Archer and the other British officers they're interacting with is their bone dry uh, sarcasm and wit. Yeah. We've, we've seen a little bit of this with stuff like um, Garrett in Thief, but honestly, Archer and these British officers make Garrett, you know, seem warm and friendly by comparison. It's complete <laughs> deadpan exchanges and one of the things i like is that kate arch usually gets the better of them when uh when these men are being condescending towards her with a cutting remark but it's real good it's just it's just the back and forth uh banter between these characters is fantastic yeah my favorite cutscenes are definitely the ones with kate arguing against other people um mm. one of the people who leads the agency smith is particularly um acerbic and you know looking down on the main character and these two are at each other's throat for a majority of the game and it's really really entertaining to watch because neither of them like really wants to give the other any ground later on in the game uh kate actually gets captured at one point that's not too much of a spoiler and has a fairly lengthy back and forth with the who you know the person who ends up being the villain and i thought that was great so one of my favorite bits from this exchange is, is where uh the evil person says i suppose this is where you would say i can't possibly succeed and then kate archer goes not if i have anything to do with it and then the evil person says well, I guess you won't have anything to do with it. And it's uh, it's exchanges like that where they're playing off one another and building off one another where I think the dialogue really shines. Yeah, and what really sells it to you is the absolute high quality of the um, the voice acting work on display here. I think every single, you know, the, the voice acting is kind of split into two groups. You've got the really deadpan, serious voice acting, like in these conversations we're talking about. And, you know, a lot of the other humorous characters talk in these really, like, fake, you know, put-on voices that are obviously meant to make them seem like imbeciles. But when they're playing it straight, every character who plays their voice straight, I think, is delivered brilliantly. Like, the whole main cast... Um, you, you know, you can get a feel for their personality through the voice work and through, you know, the way it's delivered. And I think it's absolutely superb. Probably the best we've seen on the show so far. I, I would put uh, Max Payne slightly above it, but uh, it's definitely uh, almost there. It's it's definitely some of the best. Uh, the only, I guess, weak voice acting is those of the goons <laughs> who seem to have a variety of accents. I It sounds like there's probably just a few people in the putting on a bunch of stupid accents but you know they're stupid henchmen goons i'm happy for them to have terrible accents there's a strong tradition of bad voice acting from henchmen going all the way back to thief it's definitely intentional right i think um i think it suits them perfectly fine i do as well it's it's not really a problem but it's just worth noting that uh the uh, excellent voice acting is distinct from those of the henchmen yeah and speaking of the henchmen, something that we, you know, liked in games like I think Thief and Splinter Cell before is, you know, as you're going through levels, you often happen onto, a, you know, characters having these little, you know, humorous conversations off on the side. And that is absolutely in full force here in this game as well. There are so many really weird and wonderful conversations to stumble onto, and I really enjoyed the vast majority of them. Like, a lot of these, uh, you know, these weird 
weird goons who you encounter working for this like comically evil organization but they uh they have this weird level of introspection going on in these conversations that kind of makes you feel a little bad when you shoot them in the head 10 seconds later yeah so while the main plot you know is played straight this is where the game really starts to be a bit more on the silly side uh because a lot of the conversations they're having are about bureaucracy (laughs) or a person's desire to murder their stepmother or you know someone being worried that they're going to be beat up by their boss because they didn't come to the briefing in time i think that these are largely good but i do have a couple of complaints i think some of these actually don't add anything at all like there's one where one member is speaking to another about you know do you want to come play for our band and there's no real joke and it just keeps going and you're like what what was the what was the point of this like it's a little bit of world building but there's nothing like entertaining or funny about it the other problem i have is that i think some of these exchanges go on too long with just alternating short lines of text so one guy will go oh i don't know if i believe that and the other guy will go well you should believe it and he's like but why would i believe it you know kind of like circles, those yeah yeah, going around in circles, which is something you and I, you know, well accustomed to on this podcast. So <laughs> it, it can be frustrating to listen to, as I'm sure many of our listeners could tell us. The best ones are the ones where the goons show like weird insight into themselves. Or um, my personal favorite were these this recurring joke that there's this like job market out in the normal job market for like evil yes. organizations and that you know that working great. for an evil organization is just like working for any other job um you know it was, it was really funny how like normalized the the jokes made uh, these organizations seem i thought it was quite funny yeah so one one goon will be welcoming another from another organization or they'll be talking about leaving harm and you know doing job applications for other ones <laughs> just just normal shit in that happens in people's jobs normally that was that was very well implemented um, one more note on them. There was a mechanical problem. Sometimes I wanted to sneak past two guards, but I was literally forced to listen to their entire conversation before I could get past them because they'd be speaking to another in such a way that there was no way to safely yes. kill either one. So when you are forced to wait and sit and listen through a conversation, it's much worse than when you have the option to just sneak by if you're uninterested. So... That was problematic a couple of times. But on the whole, these were great. These, these are some of the best I've done, and there there are so many of them. Most games will throw a few. This is like an actual feature of the game. This is where you get a lot of the humor. So, um, yeah, they were awesome. Well yeah, done. on the whole, I'd say the writing of this game is definitely one of its biggest, if not its biggest strength, um as you know as an experience on the whole. I, I basically enjoyed like every moment of conversation in this game. I think that the writing is just great. It's um it's good fun. I I think that so when I brought up Austin Powers, the thing that most came to mind with Austin Powers are the villains. The villains feel like they've crossed the line from traditional Bond or Get Smart into something more outlandish. Yes. Because yeah, I I mean James Bond has always had silly villains in in their old days long before, you know, modern Bond took over. 
but these are <laughs> an Austrian opera singer who um who terrorizes her her goons by singing to them, and the Scottish guy who likes fighting. They're just a little too silly and stereotypical. Yeah, and now that you bring those characters up, it did strike me that actually with the opera singer, um, she actually meets her end with like no fanfare whatsoever. You know. There's um there's actually boss fights in this game, but hers comes out of comes out of nowhere. Like you enter this room and then there's a boss bar on the screen, and you're like, "What's going on?" Oh, it's the first boss fight of the game, like three quarters through the experience, and then you know you beat her, but there's no cutscene. The level just continues, and this character who's been in cutscenes for like half the game just vanishes. It's really bizarre. The villains are a bit silly. There's also the there's this weird recurring thing of these three female singers like being bored oh, in a room. This is so bad, actually. Um, it's weird, right? Yeah. I, it must be referencing something. It feels too like Charlie's Angels. It feels or too weirdly specific. Yes, something that you just keep getting these cutscenes of these three girls, you know, lounging around being bored. And then you have to kill them all in one of the final missions. And they of don't the game. talk it's to you at bizarre. all when you fight them. Yeah. No. No, it, no, it's really poorly implemented. Yeah. Okay. So you know, it, on the whole, story's great, and there are these like little loose threads about the place that kind of seem really weird uh, compared to everything else. And later on, maybe I don't know when you want to talk about the the ending ending of this game, but I felt that the you know the last maybe fifteen twenty minutes of the game it kind of went off the rails a bit. Um, where I thought the ending had you know, wrapped up really nicely before that. Well, we'll talk about gameplay and then maybe we can dive into it later. I just um, don't want to spoil the story for those who do want to play this because I really think that uh, like with Silent Hill, uh, like we did way, way long ago, spoiling the story would destroy the, the experience. point of playing the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to emphasize that the story is excellent because it manages to have like a serious thread that you can get invested in but is still jam-packed full of hilarious jokes and it manages to pull off that juggling act really well very very high on the story like you james i think it's yeah one of the best stories i've played in like an fps game ever so two thumbs up from me so, did you want to move on a bit to uh, something that I didn't think was as good, uh, the gameplay? Well, let's uh, let's have a quick music break first. Uh, would you like to do your song first, Jimmy? Um, I think it makes a lot more sense to do your song first, Patrick, because you uh, you sniped uh, the uh, the main theme of the game before I could uh, get in there. <laughs> I did, yeah. The, the main theme of this game, I think, is the most iconic piece of music, and it's great. I would typify most of the music as being, I guess you'd call it slow jazz, in that it it's not the intense jazz that you'd see in something like Whiplash. It's not Caravan. It's more like laid back and chilled and groovy. It's more Austin Powers-esque. And it's great. I love the soundtrack of this game. So for these spy stealth games, you don't want anything as intense. You want something a lot more laid back and chill. And I think that this soundtrack achieves it with aplomb. So uh, this is the main theme of No One Lives Forever.
that was the main theme of No One Lives Forever. Unlike Patrick, I'm a bit lower on the soundtrack as a whole. I think that the main theme in particular is excellent, but I don't think any of the other tracks on the soundtrack quite managed to live up to the very high standard that the main theme sets. Um, they are pretty, you know, understated for the most part, and there are some, you know, little glimmers of brilliance here and then, although I did find the majority of it to be quite forgettable and was only able to remember the main theme at the end of the experience. So, you know, not quite as high on it as Pat is. Quite interesting, because when um, when I listened back to it uh, over the past couple of hours, I found um, I was able to remember every single piece as it played. It's not the sort of soundtrack that's going to echo in your head, because it is more background music, it's more atmospheric. It's there to you know, set the tone of the experience, which, you know, is theoretically more stealthy. I just wanted them to ham it up more, and they didn't do it quite as much as I wanted. Like, the main main theme does, like, it really digs into its inspirations, but the rest, really, I feel like it plays it too safe most of the time. I think that, like with other stealth games, you don't want to have too big a too big and noisy a soundtrack because you want to be concentrating on things like footsteps in practice of course that's a that's another beast which we'll go into mm. but i always for a stealth game or a game with stealth elements i never want a soundtrack that's too in your face I would always prefer one that's in the background. And I think it strikes the right tone. Yeah, so it's a pretty dynamic soundtrack when you get into, you know, an action scene. You know, you, you lose the cover of your stealth and it goes, you know, guns uh, blazing throughout hallways. Uh, I think it could have, you know, kicked it up a notch and it just doesn't do it enough for me in those sections. Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. I, I was very happy with the soundtrack. I see what you're saying, but... For a game that purports to be a stealth game, I'm happy for it to be more laid back. Well, do you want to talk about the stealth now then? Because uh, I have some serious problems with the stealth in this game. Sure thing. We'll start with stealth and then we'll talk about the shooting mechanics afterwards. All right. So before we go in full on into the stealth, so the game has a lot of little tutorial sections um, you know, which are themed in this kind of James Bond-esque way, as in you're, you're in a gadget lab and you, you know, you're trying out all these gadgets and all these little things. And one of the first, you know, the first few um, tutorials that you do, because, you know, before every single mission, you actually do a, you know, a bunch of these tutorials. So they're present throughout the whole experience. Um, one of the f first few ones you do is the tutorials on the stealth. And these, you know, these include things such as walking on different sounding floors and avoiding spotlights. Uh, using your torch to navigate these dark corners and when I was doing these uh, these sections in the tutorial you know it was really hyping me up for the rest of the game to come I thought wow this game you know it's got good solid it's going to have good solid mechanics and then I actually started doing the levels and I, I think that they're really poorly integrated into the core gameplay like um this is, you know, the, the stealth in this game I would describe best as unsophisticated. You know, compared to games that we've done previously, like Thief or Splinter Cell, I think that it really doesn't make full use of the mechanics, and the mechanics that are there just aren't polished enough. For example, you know, the tutorial where you have to select the right flooring to walk on to not make enough noise. There's barely any instances throughout the game where you have the option of walking on a quieter floor. 
Um, I barely found any use for that, you know, at all, because uh, I, I feel like this is less of a stealth game and more of a uh, a shooting puzzle game. I would say not just unsophisticated, but in a lot of ways it's barely functional. One of the things about the stealth is that it's incredibly inconsistent in a whole bunch of ways that don't make any sense. Um, sound seems to travel and trigger enemies in inc- at incons- inconsistent distances. Enemies spot you sometimes from across the map and sometimes only when you're right in front of them. And there's no clear shadow system to indicate when you're gonna you know be spotted from across the map or right in front of them i think this this game has shadows and light and darkness but i couldn't figure it out i would sometimes be in what i thought was a very dark patch and i'd be spotted from 20 meters away other times i thought i would be right out in the open but they didn't spot me till they walked straight in so if it's completely inconsistent it's very hard to treat it as a stealth experience because you've got no barometer for where you can successfully sneak and where you can't. Yeah, other games kind of mitigate this by giving you some kind of, you know, user interface that displays how stealthy you're being. Like Splinter Cell has its light meter. Uh, Thief had the, you know, the reticule in the middle of the screen. Um, it, it, these other games make it pretty easy to understand what kind of level of sneakiness that you're at. This game doesn't do that at all. And it also has some really bizarre design decisions and mechanics that make it feel like it's in a completely different ballpark from those other games. Uh, for example, this game doesn't have a leaning system, mm. so you can't like look around corners to double check for the guard. What it does have is this really bizarre and unintuitive grace period where if you pop out from behind a wall and an enemy can see see you you actually have you know about one to two seconds where if you duck back into cover um like the enemy didn't count as having seen you um so you end up doing these little dances around corners into you know full sight just to get information and it feels very unnatural let's hone in on that because um i actually had that as a discussion point um you know we often do these deviations into topics and this is one i want to dive into and that's uh, your ability to gather information in like different sorts of stealth games. So in third-person stealth games like um, like Metal Gear Solid or um, the newer Deus Ex games, when you're when you're hiding behind cover, it kind of switches to a third-person mode. You have ways of gathering information about your environment just by hiding behind cover or just by playing the game naturally because you can see around corners and over cover first person games are much trickier because you can only see directly out of your character's eyes so it's a lot harder to gather information to make decisions a game like thief mitigates this by having dark patches of shadow So what you can do is you can basically be in the open if you find an appropriately dark place. That's allowing you to gather information. A game like Dishonored has leaning, but it also has verticality. If you get up and above the enemies, you can actually survey the area in complete safety to then make decisions about this. No One Live Forever has this janky R system that you talked about where you tap in and out of cover and it is yeah, not a sufficient substitute for any of the systems that I've mentioned. 
Yeah, correct. It actually has a um a second more useful system that I found, which is actually um quick saving and quick loading, <laughs> um, <laughs> which you can uh, abuse to get the information. Um, because you know, as Patrick said, you know, you get stuff like scopes and binoculars and you know ways to zoom in, but the fact that you can only see straight ahead of you and not at angles makes it really difficult to you know track where people are in addition to that i find that a lot of the guards in this game don't have very consistent patrol patterns so you can't just wait in a spot um in order to you know figure out enough and then you know plan where you're going to go sometimes it felt very random and you know it made the stealth just not as clinical as i would like it i want my like stealth to have this degree of unrealism i guess uh where it's you know people are super easy to predict and you can you know make logical decisions based on uh, these implicit rules that you find in the world and that's not here because there's so much weird randomness to not only the stealth mechanics but to the enemy ai as well yeah you want to be able to make a plan and execute on it and you can't really consistently do that in no one lives forever without i guess as you said dying and failing to gather information and then using that information and that is not a satisfying way to play the game i think um the other problem is the way cameras work cameras will spot corpses of enemies but a lot of the time yes. when you shoot an enemy in the head with your silenced weapon, you have no idea when you shoot them if they're going to be seen by the camera. And you can't go out anymore in the open without being spotted by the enemy. So you kind of put in this spot where you're just like, well, I guess I'll see if there's a camera there. Oh, and when an alarm triggers, it's triggered for the rest of the mission. Yeah, it's very unforgiving. It's very annoying as well. There's, It's not like you get a temporarily alert state like in Metal Gear Solid or there's an alarm that you can turn off after it's been triggered. Well, there no. is in some levels. Oh, there's one There's one level. There's one level <laughs> where you can turn it off. But I think that it automatically triggers regardless. So. Yeah, but for the most part, you're right. Like, I honestly, a lot of the times in this game, I just said, fuck it. Um, and just played the whole level as an action game because I just couldn't deal with the, how in, unreliable and inconsistent the stealth was. You know, this stealth game in particular, I made use of quicksave and quickload more than any other probably in this show that we played prior because, you know, so much of it is like inconsistent trial and error. It, it's really it's really not fun a lot of the time. Um, and I actually have a much bigger problem with the stealth than, you know, this inconsistency and the inability to gather information. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that a lot of the problems that this game has gameplay-wise is in how fucking powerful the weapons are compared to your traditional stealth game. So... In a lot of stealth games like Thief, where you have the Blackjack, or, you know, in uh, Splinter Cell, you know, you're rewarded for actually sneaking up enemies and taking them down silently. Uh, in this game, despite the fact that, you know, it's trying to build the main character, Kate Archer, up to be this, like, you know, really empowered woman who, you know, later in the game actually beats this huge muscle guy in a fist fight. Uh, she's actually unable to, uh, you know, show that martial prowess on the battlefield, um, which I thought actually worked against the story. Um, and instead, she's basically reliant on some extremely powerful uh, silenced weapons. Like, she has access to a, uh, like, a silenced sniper rifle, essentially. And a lot of the stealth gameplay really ends up being uh, you sit in a corner 
and you just like shoot people in the head until a room is cleared and then you go to the next one and I found that really bizarre and unlike a lot of the other stealth games I'd played before and I found the first couple of levels to be really difficult because I was you know not understanding that I'm supposed to use the guns as much as I was um, and then once I'd figured that out, they started becoming quite trivial. I don't think I hate that as much as you do. I mean, Metal Gear Solid has a history of having powerful uh, silenced weapons to stealthily dispose of enemies. And while those options aren't quite as powerful as the regular guns, they're pretty much close too. And I still think it can be an entertaining way to um, silently dispatch of enemies. It's just a slightly different angle I didn't mind that. I the the thing that bugged me the most was the lack of control I had over knowing where my character would be detected and the lack of information I had. Shooting someone with a gun isn't that different from hitting someone in the back, even if it is considerably easier. It kind of is because a lot of the time in these other stealth games, you're rewarded for you know paying attention to patrol routes and stealthily following somebody, and it makes uh, each room more of a puzzle because you have to navigate it in a certain way. Whereas here, I like oftentimes I just entered a room, stood in the entrance, and just picked people off until you know the level was over. Because if you shoot someone in the head with a silenced gun and nobody hears you everybody just runs to the corpse to look down at it um you know giving you free shots and all of them so you just kind of like walk into a room shoot one guy shoot the other guys walk into the next room rather than you know plan out your stealthy you know route through the room to pick people off and to hide their bodies which you know you can't move bodies in this game you have this item which kind of disintegrates them but you know I never found any use for it because the AI is so abusable, yeah. Uh, there are also these, like, alarms on the walls, which, um, if an enemy spots you, they'll run up to the alarm and press it, and once they've pressed it, the whole level's alarm goes off. But something that I discovered later in the game was you can just kind of alert one person, and then everyone will run to that alarm one by one, and if you just put your cursor in the spot of the head of the first person, then... You know, you just clear the whole room out by waiting them to walk into your cursor. It's ridiculous. So I agree that all those things are problems, but I don't think it's intrinsically that you're shooting enemies that is the problem. And once again, I would go to Metal Gear Solid as a good example. No, 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 no. Let me, let me, let me clarify. I don't think that having a gun-centric approach to stealth is inherently a problem. I think that... Almost all of the guns killing in one shot is a problem, um, and at any range. Like, you can have a pistol and shoot somebody so far away you can't even see them and they'll just die instantly, right? Like, there's this item that's basically a camera that zooms in. All you do if you can't see an enemy from far away is you zoom in, put your cursor on top of their head, switch to the pistol, and then click, and they die. Oh, well, I, I, never, I never did that thing with it's, the camera but yeah. but basically i i agree with your complaints about the ai and that was something that i had an issue with as well if you shoot an enemy and you can see another enemy that enemy will start shooting at you but if you can only see one enemy at the time you shoot them everyone runs to their body and there's no alert phase or anything triggered by it they just kind of bend over and go huh this guy's dead which gives you a free shot and the alarm panel thing is something that um that I abused as well. 
But if the enemies were smarter, if the AI was better, then these things would be far less of a problem. If there was a radio system where they reported missing people, this would be far less of a problem. It's not the guns, it's the combination of guns with absolutely brain-dead fuckhead AI that causes these issues. Yeah, see, the other issue with the gun, each gun being so powerful is that it really uh, takes away from the decision of what gun to use because you just choose the one that has the higher ammo count, right? Like, you always pick a stealth weapon because they're so much better than the other ones. There's like four or five stealth guns in the entire game. But, you know, just the basic pistol is enough to get you through basically every level because it's just so good. But if you want to use go the stealth route, I mean, that's kind of the price that you always pay. It, the, the nature of a hybrid FPS stealth game, at least, once again, sorry, I keep using Metal Gear Solid, but, but it's, it, to me it's the best comparison as, you know, I'm thinking of, like, Metal Gear Solid 3. Metal Gear Solid 3 has basically zero stealth weapons. Sorry, zero non-lethal stealth weapons. And it's got, like, heaps and heaps of lethal ones. But it's that's just how these games are kind of designed. There's only so many ways you can create a stealth pistol. Yeah, so you've got a stealth pistol, right, Patrick? And you've yeah. also got a stealth sniper rifle, so yes. logic should dictate that you use the stealth pistol in close range and the stealth rifle at long range. When which in actuality, is what I did. Which in actuality, you can just use the pistol at all times because it's perfectly accurate over long range for no reason. I mean, if you want to get out a camera and zoom in on someone so that you can get the pixel-perfect headshot... You only need to do that in extreme cases. Like, in most cases, you can just shoot them in the head. That wasn't my approach at all. I was using the pistol in close ranges and the sniper rifle at long ranges like a normal human being. Okay, um, I don't think it's necessary. Like, the the pistol's just too good, I think. Okay, sure. It, I, I, I think the pistol is extremely good, but the pistol is also really good in Metal Gear Solid 3. I mean, you use the Trank pistol pretty much that entire game. You don't even get the Trank rifle until you, um... I think you need to jiggle peek the, the end three times, so it's very... I didn't even get it on my first run-through, so I used the Trank pistol, like, the entire game. So... I don't know. To me, it's it's less of a problem. I don't actually have a problem with there not being a whole lot of variety in weapon choice in stealth games. In Deus Ex Human Revolution, I used the stun taser and the the trank rifle like the entire game. It's just how these stealth games... But these the stealth problem games are like. is that like not only guns, but gadgets are supposed to be a big part of this game, right? This is a James Bond, Get Smart-esque game filled with lots of zany gadgets that you should be using to take out your enemies. But the guns are just so powerful that throughout the entire game, I had access to all these cool, you know, stealth gadgets that I just never needed to use because I could just use the gun. I, I don't know. So to me, if you're going to create a game with guns, the guns are going to be good because guns are powerful. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine for the guns to be powerful, but I want the guns to be powerful in different spots, whereas they're not here. Okay, to to me this is this is basically I understand why this would why you would perceive this as a problem, right? To me, it's not. The, the, the focus of the stealth gameplay, to me, isn't on 
the gadgets and guns that I'm using to interacting with these challenges. That that to me is the, like the least important part. I think No One Lives Forever fails as a stealth game, but I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that the guns are good or the gadgets are made irrelevant by the fact that the guns are good. I think it's to do with the lack of shadow mechanics and the inconsistency, your inability to gather information, the brain-dead AI. For a game that spends so much time introducing you to new gadgets between each level, the fact that they're basically useless is a huge problem for me, right? Like, the the fantasy of playing one of these, you know, cheesy spies with their cool gadgets is, like, what I want out of this game. And it never delivered that for me because, you know, there was never any reason to use them. In fact, one of the things you get as a gadget is this perfume bottle that sprays all these different, like, gases. You know, there's an acid gas and, you know, a stun gas. And, you know, basically, you need to be really close to use any of these. Um, I found I tried to use them throughout the game because I wanted to have fun with them, but, you know, too many times I would just get spotted by the guards because I was too close to them. Um, and instead had to fall back to using this stupid pistol instead. Um, secondly, they introduced this lipstick that uh, has a bunch of different explosive options, like it's a t there's a timed lipstick, there's an impact one, there's this trap, um, and I tried to use those as well, but they made too much noise, and again, I fell back to the stupid silence pistol, right? There's this gigantic component of, you know, not only the spy flavor, but the game that I just did not get to engage with because these weapons outshone them by so much, and it really, you know, uh, hurt the experience for me. So, I, like, I, I get that, you know, Metal Gear does that okay, but here I think it really works against some of the other systems that are present. I think this is a thing that is present in the vast majority of games, actually. If you if you really are talking about playing games optimally, 90% of a you know game's arsenal is, re is redundant. Um, Call of Duty has the MP40, the German submachine gun, which is like the strongest gun in the game. And if you're playing it correctly, you're going to use only that gun. Metal Gear Solid has its optimal guns and then a bunch of irrelevant crap. You identified in Prince of Persia Warrior Within that there was a single optimal strategy that you used throughout the entire game. I think that you can't expect developers to perfectly balance a roster of weapons. There's always going to be a best strategy. If you're not choosing, you, you need to be more creative and choose to and choose to use, you know, try and experiment things and use different things. You can't just blame the game for having a strong pistol. Uh, I strongly disagree. Did Metal Gear Solid 3 have a perfect camo that you always picked? Metal Gear Solid 3 had so many gadgets that were fucking useless. Yeah, and that's a problem, right? Just because other games fail to do it doesn't mean it's acceptable here. Here's the thing. In Metal Gear Solid, you had shit like the sound direction detector. You could lie in there and you could use it to detect sound. I used it in the game... But if I were to replay Metal Gear Solid 3 today, I would not use that gadget because I have figured out and I'm good enough at stealth games that I can gather that information faster and in other ways. And I think that most stealth veterans would disregard a lot of the gadgets because they're kind of applying like redundant overlaying ways to get information. In the same way, if you have a game with lots of different guns, there's probably going to be one gun that's optimal and the best for most situations. That's just what happens with these games. 
I don't know. I, I think you're expecting and demanding too much. If you can give me an example of a stealth game where you use every gadget and every gun or most of them, I'd love to hear it. It's not a matter of every gadget. I agree with you that balancing all of them perfectly, you know, is a stupid ask. But asking for there to be like, you know, two to three, which I need to switch between to, you know, progress or have an advantage, I don't think is asking too much. Well, I can't think of a single one. When I play Dishonored, I use Trank Dart Rifles and I choke people out. That's literally all I do the entire game. That game gives you so many different grenades and gadgets and everything, and I use those two things the entire game. When I play Deus Ex Human Revolution, I use the Trank Rifle and the Stun Gun. That's what I use for the entire game. Like, if, like I said, if you can provide me an example of a game where you use all these different things, I'd love to hear it. Like... Prey is probably the closest. Prey gives you all these different grenades which fulfill different functions, but that game's more immersive sim-like. It's not a pure stealth experience. Okay, what about Doom Eternal? You have to switch between your weapons in that game, right? A lot of the guns are, you know, very effective against certain enemies, like the, um, the, the grenade launcher is super effective against cacao demons. You don't need to use it, but you're highly incentivized to use that weapon against that enemy. Man, this, this could turn into a whole different thing, because you know I don't think uh, nearly as highly of the resource management simulator that is Doom Eternal as you do. But it's not even about the resource management. It's about the different guns being effective against well, different does, enemies. Okay, I, I don't want to get into this argument because we're going on a tangent here, but my problem... Well, I gave... I you asked, you asked me for an example. I, and I asked gave for a stealth one, game right? example. Not, not a first-person, insane-paced first-person shooter. That's not really where my mind is at the moment. Okay, so, okay, let's, let's kind of return this to base. I acknowledge the criticism you have a very restrictive arsenal. But it's one, to me, that I don't identify as a problem because if it's a problem, it's a problem that exists, as far as I can tell, in pretty much every stealth game imaginable. I, I agree with you, and I don't think that excuses it. But any, like, to be, to be fair, like, we both agree that the stealth in this game sucks, right? Like, it's not very good. Sorry, I, I don't want to dismiss your complaint. I, I think that it is a valid criticism, and I can understand why you have a problem with it. All I want to say is that in terms of my enjoyment of stealth games, my personal enjoyment of stealth games, the restrictive arsenal d is not what detracts from my enjoyment. That That is not a pr something that I personally perceive as a problem, and that's what I'm getting at. All of these stealth games that I love, they've got restrictive arsenals, and it's never really bothered me. But I do acknowledge that, yes, you do have a restrictive arsenal. I can see why that would bother it's, you. It's not so much the guns, but, like, the gadgets in particular here. Like, I don't know. I, I found no use for any of them except the three that were basically a key that was skinned differently, right? Like, there's a lockpick, there's this blowtorch, mm. and then there's this hacking device. They're all just keys. They're all just keys, and they're the only useful gadget in the game. So what I would suggest, that rather than it being a problem with the guns, maybe it's a problem with challenge. The game doesn't create intricate enough challenges that demand the use of gadgets. What difficulty did you play on? Is that fair? I played on hard, okay. so not the hardest. So I played on normal, and on normal, the... Um, so the pistol killed enemies with three shots to the chest... Um, and the silenced rifle 
um, in one to any part of the body. I don't know if it like if enemies had better AI. Uh, silence, silence rifle was it? No, the AI was still trash. I imagine <laughs> the AI is the same. It would it would be that whole you do and you know, you do less damage, you take more damage. I would I could headshot kill enemies. The silence rifle killed on a shot to the chest, but not to like the arm or leg. So it was. It demanded slightly more accuracy. One more point on the AI that I remember now is that when you're playing it as an action game, um, the enemy's AI isn't even sophisticated enough to have different pathing to each other. So if you like alert like 10 enemies and then, you know, you go around a corner, they'll all conga line at you in the same pathing. So you can just like hold fire with an automatic weapon in a row or just smash the pistol button at their heads and they'll all die one by one. It's a... Uh, it's really surprisingly bad. Let's uh, take another music break and then we'll jump into the FPS uh, side of it, the shooting side, because I think we've covered the uh, the stealth side in sufficient detail now. So, James, what was your what was your music choice? Like I said, I wasn't as high on a lot of the music as you were, but there were two that I did think were okay. Um, and the one I'm going to choose is called Man of Influence, which I think, you know, had a couple of more interesting pieces throughout the music. It's actually kind of hard because I don't think most of the soundtracks play, you know, from beginning to end while you're playing the game. I think it's very dynamic and it actually like chops and changes these pieces as you're playing in order to mix it up. And I thought that was good. I just wish what was there was more enjoyable to listen to. But here's Man of Influence. That was Man of Influence, and Pat, before we went to the music break, you said you wanted to uh, talk about the action gameplay, so uh, how did you feel about that? So it was incredibly mediocre. Yes. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> Just so like the stealth, yeah. the shooting's rubbish. Uh, as you were saying before we went to the break, um, one of the real problems with the game is the terrible AI, once again. Um, the way they conga line is atrocious. This game came out after Half-Life, and I know that Half-Life 1's commandos were held as the high point of AI because they're able to give off the impression of flanking and throwing grenades at yeah. you. This is nowhere near Half-Life's AI. They'll either stand around shooting at you or run at you in a straight line from wherever they happen to be. And there are many times in this game when you get alerted where there will be seven enemies in a row just running at you in a straight line. Like, that is no exaggeration. 
Yeah, it is it is really, really bad. And the stealth sucks. So I was playing this game as an action game like a lot, despite uh, the really annoying alarm sound that was, you know, never stopped in every level. Um, I think the worst part of the action was probably on uh, spoilers. You go... <laughs> Can we talk about spoilers yet, Patrick? Uh, yeah, I think we're sufficiently far. If if this basically, uh, the short of it is that the gameplay is pretty poor. I think that James probably hated it more than I do, but I agree that it's pretty poor. But the story is excellent. Yeah, I agree. I th- I, I'll, say, I'll say right now, I think it's worth playing for most people. Just know that the gameplay experience is whatever. Uh, so yeah, if you really want to play this game based on what we've said so far, play it now and then you can re- listen to the rest of the episode later. And uh, that's my take. I'm sure you feel broadly the same, right, James? I went through lots of weird periods of how I felt about this game. There were parts where I absolutely loved the experience because of how good the story was going or like, you know, the, when the gameplay wasn't super offensive. And there are other parts where, I like, you know, like I was groaning when I had to pick up and play it. Um, and I, you know, for a while I was strongly debating on whether to recommend people just watch it on YouTube, like the cutscenes, but I think um, too much of the experience is delivered by playing it. So, you know, Correct. broadly yeah. speaking, I think the story is worth experiencing. Hey, sure. Well, there, jump into spoilers and be warned, everyone. Spoilers. So, spoilers ahead, you go to space at one point, and uh, in keeping with the stupid, you know, uh, theming of this game, they give you this laser weapon, which of course you can only find in space, um, that is actually a one-hit disintegration beam. To the head. To the head? I, I always doing it to the chest for uh, me on normal as well. Yeah, yeah, um, there's another difference, yeah. Yeah, uh, but also on normal, the enemies were one-hitting me to the chest too, and it goes through your shield, so... They were one-hitting you? Yeah, there was a lot of reloading. I was dying to these stupid pistols, like, a lot when I was playing. I don't know, it sounds like you weren't getting killed instantly by these? I died a lot, but I would say I took, they took about a quarter of health per hit, so I, I still had to reload a lot in that section, but I wasn't getting one hit from full health. Okay, maybe I was just taking more than one hit at a time, but I, yeah, I had to reload a lot in that section. I just thought mm-hmm. it really was unfun, honestly. In addition to the gameplay, you know, the running around and shooting... Yeah, so the only other thing I want to talk about, the the core gameplay is that you move really fast in this game, and I found that very bizarre when I started playing, because I thought this was supposed to be a stealth game, but you, like, sprint around at the speed of sound. I have something to say about that, but I'm going to get slightly technical, so bear with me. Mm. Um, There is a serious problem with this game's shooting, and it's a very specific technical thing that is not the most difficult thing in the world to fix, but it's essential. And the issue is specifically the running accuracy reset time. So let me explain. So the running accuracy reset time is how long it takes your crosshair to reset to like a baseline level of accuracy after you stop running. And basically, it takes a very long time. Similar to Deus Ex and Splinter Cell. It's not quite as bad as Splinter Cell, but it's not far off. Uh, you are much, much, much stronger when you are sitting in place, not moving, than if you try and round corners and shoot people. 
And if your running accuracy reset time is high, that leads to a bad first-person shooter, just straight up. It is a bad first-person shooter experience. And I want to clarify here. So some of my favorite games in the world are Counter-Strike and even, yes, Call of Duty. I enjoy those games. And both of those games have a high inaccuracy while running, but their reset time is very low. Call of Duty's is low, and Counter-Strike's is basically instantaneous, particularly if you counter-strafe. Now, that's all technical, but but the main thing to take away from this is that if your running accuracy reset time is high, if it takes a long time to reset to a base, it is very difficult to play aggressively. Because when you round a corner and spot an enemy, you kind of need to sit in the open like a sitting duck for a long time before you can get an accurate shot off. If it is short, like in Counter-Strike or Call of Duty, we played Call of Duty 1 and I opened it up and tested it and it's way shorter. If it's a short length of time, you can round a corner, your accuracy almost instantly resets and you can pop off a headshot in time. Basically, No One Lives Forever sucks because even though your movement speed is high as you did say, James, you cannot play aggressively and round a corner and hit off some quick headshots and keep playing. Yeah, You're kind of forced into this weird defensive play style where you spot someone, then you sit still crouching and wait for them to run into you. I mean, that's, I mean, it's a stealth game, right? It's trying to encourage that. But I agree with you. Like, I got into these situations a lot where I was, like, touching enemies and I was jumping up and down, doing circles around them, trying to shoot them, and it wasn't hitting them still. Um, you, you shoot very inaccurately if you're trying to move. But, like, you get into these situations where you need to move to dodge fire, but because you're doing that you can't hit them and the the fights become really weird and prolonged as a result and often if a lot of enemies join in the firefight you're just kind of fucked and you have to reload it's extremely annoying and you know most of my fps background is counter-strike and the thing about that game is that you can be at extremely long ranges with an ak or whatever and while you can't shoot while moving you can strategically stop with counter strafing and fire off basically perfectly accurate salvos you can go bang bang strafe bang bang strafe and you can be hitting headshots every time that is impossible in this game you cannot Mm. do that because every time you move it resets to fucking nothing so I did not like the shooting in this game because of the passive play style it encouraged. I would have far preferred, um, and as a result, it's considerably worse than Call of Duty 1. And it's just it's just weird, James, because it's such a small thing. Like, this is something that they could have fixed with a few, you know, by just changing. They could have just changed this. It's not, it's yeah. not a big change, but it produces such a drastically different experience And I think that modern shooters don't have this issue. They don't really, you know, have this stupid, you know, reset time. And I'm glad they don't. But it's a problem that pervades a lot of these old games. Yeah, I I just think that the core gameplay is mediocre to bad a lot of the time. Um, And my favorite levels are the ones where... You know, so the game really had two kinds of levels. It had these short gimmicky levels and these, like, long, drawn-out... Poor gameplay levels and i much preferred 
the story heavy gimmicky stupid bullshit where the game lent into the campiness of you know the 60s spy movies and you're doing all sorts of stupid the shit like jumping out planes and fighting people while falling out of the sky or um uh, having these you know stupid conversations with people where you're trying to get information from them that was all fun really fun and you know funny and just engaging and then there's the ones where you're sitting there for like an hour going through this level and you know just painstakingly shooting stuff trial and error reloading all of damn time and it's not it just really takes away from the experience broadly speaking because i mean we've covered most of the gameplay here now i think i kind of feel the opposite gimmicky levels like i'm very whatever about the one where you're falling out of the plane the one where you're scuba diving they're just not very engaging. They got nothing really going on. It's like, oh, we're doing a scuba diving level, and then you, you know, go around a ship with a harpoon gun shooting people. That was the uh, best level in the game, in my opinion, because uh, it gave you a fun weapon and didn't give you the option of using something, you know, better. You literally just swim down corridors, shooting enemies as they come into peripheral vision. Um, it's dull and uninteresting. I, I mean, it's a cool concept, but gameplay-wise, it's far less interesting than the stealth bits. But the stealth bits sucked. Like, I was actively happy when the game didn't ask me to do them, basically. For all of my criticisms of the game, and I stand by them, I think that this game, you know, broadly speaking, has rather poor gameplay. I did derive some enjoyment from sneaking around, shooting people in the head with silenced pistols, Particularly if I could find a spot where I could go like bang, 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 hit three quick headshots and the bodies would drop and no alarms would go off. So I think I'm slightly higher than you. I agree that it's poor, but I did get some enjoyment out of it. Um, it wasn't nothing. Additionally, even though I think this is a rather poor shooter, there were times where I still, you know, snapped off some headshots and got my um, FPS boner that I, that I you know, can't, can't help but get because I'm playing a game with guns and shooting. So... I think it's a poor experience, but it wasn't quite as negative as it was uh, for you, it sounds like. Well, I didn't hate it, but it was incredibly mediocre. I would not sit through this kind of gameplay if I wasn't doing it for the show. There's just I agree. too many good games out there to waste your time um, with this kind of gameplay if there isn't you know, a reason to be doing so. And uh, I do, I do think that the story is a pretty good reason to do that, but you know, it is what it is. Something that I wanted to talk about was actually the level design. I think that something that made it a bit less painful for me was the fact that it mixed up the environments a lot throughout the game, and it always had you doing something slightly different with, you know, a funny context behind it. And I thought that that kind of, you know, environmental storytelling almost just brought it up a little bit for me. Uh, I was pretty low on the level design. It's mostly very linear. Uh, they'll maybe not maybe maybe not the design more the theming i guess like i kind of i kind of liked all the different places you went to like you go to space and you go to you know you go to the snowy peaks and you go to um you know a deserty area it it changes itself up enough to not be boring um but actually i am a quite low on the design of the levels in general sure um i agree with you i think the um the the varied aesthetic is pleasing and it puts even call of duty to shame it's world hopping is nowhere near as interesting as no one lives forever which does a really good job of yeah just like in those um those spy movies and tv shows where they hit all of the cool locations 
does a great job varying it. Yeah, my favorite my favorite level was probably the last environment, which was this big uh, chateau on the top of a snowy mountain, yes. which was a uh, full to the brim of all these stupid secret passages like to the point where you know it was obviously a joke like every single room had a stupid moving bookcase or like spinning fireplace or something to that there's effect. one section which is like six secrets just connected to one another <laughs> yeah, right. like it's just a bunch yeah. of closed doors <laughs> and then there are six uh secret so yeah that was that was kind of like a funny gimmick <laughs> in general uh, that's actually worth noting i loved it. so even though i was dead on the fairly linear and bland level design like you said the theming was very cool there's multiple times where um you press a switch and something flips like uh when you're in uh the evil person's secret lair you um you like press a press a button and like maps come down saying world domination map yeah, world domination <laughs> and yeah. there's another bit where you're Man. in a corporate like a corporate building and you find like a secret passage to like a pool area and it's like it's all very uh evil larry james bondy sort of secret everyone and their passages. mother has a secret lamp in this game and yeah it's, great. it's cool um, it's cool yeah. though. I, I like i like secret layers i like I like hidden passages. It's uh, it's always excellent to find. Hell, I like the hidden passages in Gone Home. Like, I'm, I'm always up for a hidden passage. Yeah, like, the game is at its absolute best when it's leaning into the 60s spy, you know, shtick. Um, and it does it very well a lot of the time. It When it really hams it up, you know, the game shines. Like, I love all the exaggerated characters. Like, they've got the stupid American bloke with the absurdly broad shoulders and chi massive chin and perfect hair and the character design like in general just you know screams personality even the way the american guy speaks is quite funny he like yeah. speaks kind of slower and in a more direct way than all the uh, subtle british banter it's it's quite good they characterize him well they they really played up the britishness of uh, you know the secret agency and all the characters there i thought it was really funny um actually can we talk about the character models for a second because um oh my god <laughs> i yes. think that they're very low resolution like graphically and like a lot of time i was very distracted by how you know dated they look but at the same time i think their designs really well you know emphasize the kinds of characters they're going for from um you know this the big american guy that we were talking about to the uh the really you know so salty secret agent leader who had a perpetually raised eyebrow i think all the characters designs really you know speak of their characters quite well but they do look very very dated at the same time yeah the the character i agree with you um i do want to say though that the extremely limited roster of uh minor characters is very frustrating there's yes. <laughs> like there must be like literally four models for civilians in this game and they use them over and over and over again you go to morocco you go to the chateau you go to fucking space and it's literally identical character models are wearing the same colored clothes it's terrible. Like, Deus Ex suffers from this a little bit, but Deus Ex has way more varied models than this game. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's especially very bad when there's actually supposed to be recurring characters, but you can't really tell if nope. they're a recurring character or they're just a different character with the same model because, you know, both is completely possible in this game. 
Yeah, so uh, while I agree that, yes, the main characters are good, the the secondary characters are atrocious. They're too yeah, samey. Not enough uh, samey. distinction. Yeah. Also on the graphics, um, something kind of weirded me out a bit was that, you know, with the repeating locations, most notably the spy agency's main office, um, if a certain character is talking... The camera is always at the exact same angle every single time, like from minute one of the game to like 10 hours in. If you come back to this location, each character is standing in exactly the same spot and filmed at the same angle. I found it really, really weird and disconcerting. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I know I know exactly what you mean, but it didn't. I didn't really notice, I guess, because I was more focused on the dialogue. I had the Which... subtitles on, so I was just reading those. Okay, I actually, um, I tried to stay out of the options menu as much as I could, because, uh, with the, with the fix patch, um, you know, you set up all the graphics in the launcher and then you open the game, but if you fiddle with the graphics while in the game, it basically crashes 100% of the time, and I kept doing that uh, by accident. I, <laughs> I didn't have that issue at all. I, the, the modernizer adds a heaps of options to the menus. That's one of the reasons the modernizer patch is really good. So I extensively fiddled with all of the options to get it to look how I wanted. Okay, okay. I just did that outside of the game, I suppose. It actually hurt me a little bit at one point. There's um, there's a part where you have to find the secret passage in the Chateau mission, and mm. I had the anti-aliasing jacked up really high, and I literally could not see this passage. I had to look up a walkthrough because I'm like, where the hell am I meant to go? Huh. And then I found this passage, and I was like, it just kind of like appeared to me when I could see where it was. It was like a a depth perception thing. The hole in the wall was fading into the wall because it was so because um, it was so because <laughs> it was so smoothed out exactly. So uh, that that was the one time where fiddling with the menu options hurt me. But I I didn't suffer any of the crashes that you did. Did you did you use a walkthrough often? Because I actually found Twice. that something this game does incredibly poorly is guide the player in a lot of spots. Um, so, so many twice. times throughout this game, like I just had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. Like there was some little pixel in the corner of a room I was supposed to interact with that I had you know walked past a hundred times and not noticed. Uh, it was really frustrating for me. Yeah, it's annoying, but as I've said in, I guess, in a few other episodes, like the System Shock and the Thief one, I actually prefer when games err on the side of not holding your hand. And the natural consequence of that is that when they don't do it well, it is incredibly frustrating. Thief had a couple of hidden sh things that really tick me off. Like the one that really gets me in Thief is that uh, hidden brooch in the fire pit. And yes. it's like, there's just nothing to, oh, it makes me angry. When, but at other times it does it really good. I mean, you I don't would... have to hold hand by giving arrows and location markers and stuff that that's explicit. You can just use the natural level design to guide the player or use I agree. You know, uh, little objects in the room to highlight. But there's so many points where it's like a fucking needle in a haystack to know where to go. Uh... So I, I it, hap it definitely happened a few times to me. I'm just saying like in a broad sense, and I don't think this is, you know, the greatest game at doing it or anything. I actually don't mind when games are a bit hand more hands-off. So 
Yes, I was irritated. The The other one which really annoyed me was the airplane mission where you had to go through the hatch and the floor. I don't know if you had... I was going up and down that plane for ages. <laughs> I had no idea where to fucking go until I looked up a walkthrough. I'm like, oh, duh. But, what about but, um? What about the bank vault with all the lasers? Did you um? So uh, they, I so, um, I tried to platform past that for about three minutes, and then I'm like, this can't be right. This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but did, did I found it. But I didn't. Yeah. I I didn't look yeah. up a walkthrough. I was just I just came to a so, realization. So for people for people listening, there's this like uh, you're trying to steal. You're trying to sneak into this rich guy's bank vault, right? And you go in. And there's these lasers that are going left and right across the screen. And, you know, you've got to walk through them at the right time. But this bank vault has like, I don't know, three or four rooms in it, which gets progressively harder uh, to dodge the lasers in each room. And you get to the last room in the bank vault. It's, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Like, yeah, it's absurd. It's like, I it's think... absurd. There's like, I think you can do it. But... You could probably do it, but it requ- would require like... You'd have to just know perfectly where every laser is from start to finish. I actually got really far. Like, I got to, like... I, don't I know. got I was to like the three-quarter mark I was, like, so. a meter or something to the exit, and then I got hit by one. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, there's an alternate route that you're supposed to take, and I, uh... <laughs> It took me a while to notice that that was there. See, see, it's funny because that to me is like actually a really good example of it. Like that's not a bad example. It's, it, it's kind of very clever because it gives you these laser challenges that you can actually realistic, pla- realistically platform over. Then it gives you the impossible one. <laughs> and I came to the realization, I'm like, come on, this, this can't be right. I'm missing something. And then I found the hatch. So that. There were ones that bothered me, but that one didn't. I, I quite liked that, actually. Yeah, I thought it was funny, but I, I actually had to look up a walkthrough. I didn't notice the hatch on the floor. Um, <laughs> I, it did take me a while, though. Like, I, I, spent, <laughs> I spent way too long trying to yeah. perfectly platform through. It was quite funny. Yeah, in general, I'm, I'm kind of on the level design, uh, especially the stupid vehicle missions. Um, yeah, worse than Half-Life 2s, for the record. Yeah, and I actually stopped playing Half-Life 2 because of the uh, the vehicle missions. Yeah, um, they're even worse. They're, they're just a waste of space. You, you go forward on your motorcycle for a bit, jump off, shoot some enemies, get back on the motorcycle, rinse and repeat 15 times until the mission's over. Yeah, uh, I did not like them at all. Um, there was nothing fun to be had. Although I did like um, the bit at the end of one of the bikes where you opened that like giant passage in the mountain. That was so stupid. While the helicopter's um, firing at you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, did we want to give a broad overview of how we felt about the graphics and then wrap up i'm pretty much done with my gameplay uh i mean yeah all i have to really say about the graphics is uh what we've kind of covered already which is that they're ugly as sin but some of the aesthetic stylings uh actually work in its favor as you said like when you're going to space stations and you know you're diving onto sunken derelicts the flavor and theming um, can elevate it above, you know, the mere graphical fidelity. And I think that the game did a good job distracting from the ugliness of its graphics with that kind of thing. But it's it's not pretty. 
Yeah, I think this game showed to me that good design really is timeless. Like the 60s aesthetic shines through in a lot of places, um, mostly like offices and, um, you know, more built up areas. When you're going through like dark caves and like brown complexes, it's not as good. Um, and I really liked when the game lent into those office environments. Probably my favorite level in the game... Um, other than, you know, that ship section was this one where you're just sneaking around an office because, you know, the, the, the aesthetic design really shines through in that environment and it's really good. They did a great job, even if, uh, as Patrick said, the fidelity hasn't held up at all. Yeah, so it's fine. It's ugly, but you can ignore it. But yeah, don't go into this game expecting something pretty. <laughs> it, it So for, for like another barometer, I'd say that even though Half-Life came out a couple of years before this, I think Half-Life 1, like just the original and all its ugly glory, is a better looking game. Um, it's just got more distinct, uh, I guess, geometry than this game. It No One Lives Forever ends up being a bit too corridory and blocky with its level design. It, it just gets a bit too repetitive, even when you, you know, paint it different colors and everything. So yeah, I don't I don't rate this game very highly. It it ends up looking better than something like Max Payne though, because Max Payne is just endless. I, I mean, Max Payne does have a consistent gritty atmosphere, but I mean, it doesn't stop it being an ugly atmosphere. So I put it below Half Life. I'd put it slightly above Max Payne. Yeah, it's it's not the best looking, but sometimes the design does carry you through. And I did find that you know during the cutscenes, I was absorbed enough in the dialogue that I didn't notice it too much. Um, there actually, I do have one more thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap up, and this is, you know, majorest spoilers possible. So again, you know, if you want to play the game, do it now before listening to this, because I'm, you know, I want to talk about the very, very end of the game, which I thought was actually a complete garbage fire. So as Patrick and I were discussing earlier, this is a very feminist game uh, with, you know, an empowered female character. And one of the things that, you know, happens over the course of the game is that one of the, you know, the grumpiest characters ever really comes around on her um, at the very end. And it's a really great moment of catharsis for the player where he finally admits that he was wrong the entire time, um, you know, and that she is a competent character. And then, you know, that's kind of the point where the game is, you know, indicating to the player that it's over and that the credits are about to roll. But then the game keeps going for like another 10 to 15 minutes with these like really bizarre plot twists where all of these characters who had, you know, learnt their lesson were actually evil all along and they didn't learn anything. And it really, you know, soured the story for me because these really cool arcs and this catharsis that I got was all undone in a matter of like you know, a minute's worth of dialogue and I fucking hated it. Like, I think the game should have just not had this ending part whatsoever. I think that the final betrayal was just completely unnecessary. I liked the Tom being the mole betrayal, though. It's kind of a tradition in these games to have, like, a post-credits sort of cathartic sequence where there's just one final mystery unveiled. And I like the idea of, you know, unveiling this mole in the agency because there being a mole in the agency has been this ongoing thread and it's the only one that's kind of left unraveled. So I, I didn't mind that. Like you, I really did have a problem with um, Smith. Is that his name? Yeah, because up until that point, Smith was probably my favorite, like, non-mink. You know, yeah. apart from Kate, Smith was my favorite character. He was just such an evil. arsehole. 
Yeah, and then, and, he, and then you get this five minute sequence where they explain, where basically one character it just explains it all to you, and I mean it's just not necessary. You don't need that. the The bad guys can sometimes just be the um the bad guys, particularly when they're so obviously evil, like they are in this game. There was already enough intrigue. They didn't need to drop this entire additional layer in the final two minutes. Yeah, and, you know, as I said, especially because it really undermines a lot of the good story threads that have had, you know, going up to it. I just wish I could... I honestly wish I could just completely forget about this last part, you know? You, you're not, you don't have a problem with Tom, right? Because I thought that the Tom thing was well foreshadowed as well. Because there's a couple of times where he says to you, yeah, you should escape through the rooftops. Uh, you know they won't be expecting you and then you go to the rooftops and there's like hundreds of, of enemies on the rooftops yeah, yeah so i mean i saw that guy being evil like a mile away but also yeah. there's this scene where he gets killed by the enemy and it makes no sense on reflection like if those two are working together why don't they both just shoot you like i don't fucking i just understand. saw that as a james bond thing basically you know, a, a lot of the uh, henchmen in the game have this thing as well, where the the Scottish guy is like, you know, take her prisoner, and the henchman's like, why don't we just kill her? Let's just kill her, <laughs> which which is a very it's a very Austin Powers thing because Doctor Evil's son Scott keeps wanting to just kill the bad guys, but keeps getting told no. So with shit like that, I was actually happy to overlook those like little plot holes because I don't think it's in the spirit of the game to get caught up on you know little stupid plot holes like that because the whole game's a little stupid and you know you got you got to take it all with a grain of salt. You're saying it's not in the spirit of the game. <laughs> yeah that's a reference that literally no one will get that literally but, no one will but, get Patrick but, but and I, I got, I got a ongoing argument for like forever oh. I don't even know if I believe my side of the argument I just like I don't even know if I believe my it. side of the argument I just I'm committed to it now but anyway that's a discussion for another time hopefully never alright uh, final impressions then James yeah so for me, No One Lives Forever is right on the borderline of being, you know, a game that I would either recommend or not recommend to play. Um, it does a brilliant job through its voice acting and through its dialogue and its cutscenes at conveying a very compelling story with some very entertaining and endearing characters. I love the main character of this game and the way she fights back against the oppression. I love the, like, you know, the way they just go back and forth at each other's throats the entire time. It's extremely entertaining. Like, I love the story in this game. I love the characters. I love the dialogue. I love the stupid jokes. Um, and I love the, you know, the 60s spy theming. It's all superb. But the gameplay fucking sucks. I really, really dislike it. It's not so bad that you can't deal with it but just there are so many just unsophisticated mechanics and little things that never get to shine like the the thing i was most excited for when jumping into this game was getting to play with all these stupid gadgets and they're just so overshadowed by the weapons that you know i felt stupid for pulling them out um 
And the stealth is inconsistent at the best of times and downright bad at the worst. And I spent so many times reloading my game just because it was so frustrating. Uh, and, you know, you couldn't plan for things. It just, you know, things went wrong and there was nothing you could do about it. I am almost convinced that you should just, you know, watch this game on YouTube. But the, you know, the dialogue that you get while playing the game is just so good. It's hard to, it's hard to tell you, you know, to miss out on that. So if this is something that appeals to you, go right ahead. I think you'll have a good time. But, you know, just be aware that the gameplay is really bad a lot of the time. I'm uh, personally not nearly as down on the gameplay as James. I think it's insane to suggest that you could get the value out of this game by watching um, by watching it on YouTube. That's something you can do for Police Noughts. I don't think it's what you can do for this. I agree with him that the gameplay is mediocre at best. Um, the shooting is bad and the stealth is bad. But this, I think there's still a reasonable degree of enjoyment to be found with it. Um, just because, you know, I like shooting people on the head. And I like shooting people stealthily in the head even more. Uh, where No One Lives Forever really shines, where it's at its best, is its story, its dialogue, its characterizations. Um, it manages to to take its main story thread and play it straight with lots of really well-written banter between its characters, while it also has all of this hilarious mockery of spy tropes um, in its henchmen dialogue and all the um all the information that you randomly find all over the map. I recommend No One Lives Forever. I think it's a game worth playing. I think it's incredible that I've never heard of it before, and I'm worried that other people haven't heard of it before. So give it a go. It's free. It's abandonware. I think that you'll find that it's well worth your time to play today. Yeah, it being free is a pretty good selling point, right? Uh, especially with the new patch that makes it, you know, perfectly playable. So if you're even, like, slightly interested in this game, you know, there's barely any reason not to jump in and give it a go. Um, I think that there are definitely, you know, some incredible parts to this game. So, uh, yeah, that was No One Lives Forever. Yeah, that wraps it up. Um, we are, of course, the Retrospectors podcast. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to us gab on about No One Lives Forever. Thank you to SPH for making the recommendation. I'm really glad that uh, that I was able to find this game thanks to that. Um, you can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. We've got links to all of our social media and everything there. Most importantly, uh, there's a link to our Discord there. We'll also chuck it in the show notes. Um, our Discord is where we have all of our community interaction. We take user suggestions for games. We discuss and argue about the games we've played in addition to many, many other video games. And we've got quite a quite a nice little community growing. So if you've been listening to the show, if you enjoy it, we would love to have you on our Discord server, whether you have a game to share or um, if you disagree with anything we've said on this episode or any other. Uh, you are more than welcome and we'd love to have you. So with that out of the way, I guess it's time to uh, talk about what we're playing next, right, Pat? It is indeed. And uh, I chose No One Lives Forever, so it is James' choice for this next fortnight what game are we playing next fortnight jimmy 
So this next game is another recommendation from a, uh, a friend of mine. We're going to be playing Kingdom Under Fire, The Crusaders, which was recently rescued from uh, its eternal prison on the original Xbox and finally ported to the PC platform. It's a, a really bizarre mix of real-time strategy and, you know, real-time action gameplay. And, I'm you know, we haven't really done you know, uh, a strategy game like this since Red Alert 2, all the way back in, you know, I think it was our fifth episode of the show ever. So, you know, I'm really excited to jump back in and, you know, give this uh, apparently really unique game uh, a run for its money. I've looked at this game on Steam. It looks really weird, but it's one of those games where it got very middling reviews at the time of its release, but since then it's developed a cult following. So if nothing else, it looks like there's something unique and interesting about this game, and I'll be interested to find out what that is. Yeah, so um, hopefully it's a good one. Otherwise, uh, you know, we'll be slogging through a, a few more hours <laughs> of pain as we have done a few times before on the show. Um, so thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in a fortnight. Adios. Adios.